Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. It's great to have you with me. I want to dive right in and do something unusual in this podcast. I want to talk about a religious issue by way of talking about reclaiming civic grace, reclaiming the ability to work with people that we don't fully agree with, and to do so, hopefully, as modeling something that we desperately need in our times. Now, if you follow what I do, if you read my books, if you listen to my perspective, uh, then you know that I often talk about the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. I wrote a book some years ago when Mr. Romney was running for president called The Mormonizing of America. It wasn't my title, but that's what the publisher went with. Um, I uh, did a lot of research and had a lot of help from the Mormon community and wrote a book in which I took my basic position, which is that I deeply admire the Latter-day Saints. I deeply admire uh, what they produce today, what they produce in terms of leaders, what they produce in terms of American patriots. Um, Stunning, if you live here in D.C., how many Mormons uh, serve our government, how many are in the FBI and the Secret Service, etc. And just you just have to be grateful to them. You have to be grateful for what they produce. You have to be grateful for what happens in the lives of young men when they go, and women when they go on mission, uh, which is this uh, tour they do early in life uh, of service disconnected from their families. It's amazing what it produces. It produces CEOs. It produces uh, presidential candidates. It produces great congressmen and senators. It just does amazing things. However, having said all that, and I'll say a bit more about that particular side of Mormonism in a bit, um, in the book, I made it clear that I don't agree with their supernatural claims. So I love who they are. I have friends who are Mormons. I have some of the best men's leaders I know are Mormons, and I work in the area of men leadership of men. Uh, some of some of the just just some of the finest people I know are Mormons, and I love them for what they do. I love them for what they give our country. I love them for what they do for men. Uh, some of the some of the best websites, some of the best programs for men, uh, produced by Mormon friends. It's not necessarily produced by the Latter Day Saints, but produced by Mormon friends. And so uh, that's that's absolutely what I'm celebrating and committed to. While at the same time, not believing in their faith in terms of its supernatural claims. If I, if I did believe in their faith, I'd be a Mormon. Uh, at the same time, they don't agree with me. They would disagree with my faith. They would disagree with my kind of garden variety traditional Christianity. Mormonism began with a claim that all prior religion uh, was flawed, an abomination, uh, etc. And so there's been this tension. There's a, there's a built-in tension between the Latter-day Saints and people of other religions. And the assumption is we don't agree. We don't agree on supernatural claims. I don't agree. I don't believe necessarily what Mormons say about their history. I don't believe necessarily what they say about Joseph Smith, and they would disagree with me. Now, the reason I bring this up is not in any way to pick a fight, for heaven's sakes. It's to illustrate something. It's to illustrate something we desperately need in our times. Uh, when I work with other people, in fact, most of the people I work with, I would have, if I worked at it hard enough, some reason to distance myself from them if I require that all who are my friends and all who I work with are people I agree with 100%. You know, I'm married to a woman I'm crazy about. I don't agree with her 100%. We, we, we disagree about things politically. We disagree about things theologically all the time. It's part of the fun of our relationship married. We're almost always together. We love each other dearly. We do a lot of our business together. Um, I I don't require a hundred percent agreement. 
I work a lot in the Muslim world. Some of my dearest friends are Kurds. I want to help the Kurdish cause. I'm not a Muslim. I don't agree 100% with Muslim claims. They don't agree 100% with my Christian claims. Uh, I'm not diminishing those differences. I'm saying we can hold to those differences and understand them and still be able to work together. Uh, I have a deep appreciation for Mitt Romney, who you know uh, is, is, a, is a Mormon of many, many years, family deep in Mormonism for, century, for generations. And uh, I, I really admire him. I like the outlier in American politics. I like the guy who's a man of principle. I like the guy who is free to use the old language of a party spirit. That doesn't mean a guy who doesn't who drinks. Uh, I, I, I'm saying uh, party spirit was the old way of saying a guy who's given to factions, given to groups, committed to his party and damn everyone else kind of attitude. I like a guy who's free of that. I like a guy who's proceeding from moral principle. I like the way he thinks. I like that he is a little prickly. He's a little uncertain. You're not sure 100% where he's going to come down on a confirmation hearing or a, or, or, or impeachment, whatever. He, he He's his own man. He thinks his own thoughts. He's a bit of an outlier. I like it. And so I have uh, encouraged his career. Uh, I wrote that book around that time, in part, to be honest with you, because he wouldn't talk about his Mormonism. My only knock on Mitt Romney is that he didn't just step out and talk about his Mormonism. I've actually written a chapter of a book called The Three Words. Uh, When Mitt Romney was giving his convention acceptance speech, he mentioned his Mormonism only in three words. And yet the polls showed that this was a huge issue and that many people wouldn't vote for him because they didn't like like or understand uh, the Latter-day Saints, and uh, believed it was a cult and wouldn't wouldn't support a man who was part of it. And I think it hurt him in that election. I think he should have stepped out. I think he should have said things. I think he should have used it as a positive. Uh, you know, the, the Mormons in American history are the only religious group to be put under an extermination order. A state governor actually called for their extermination in a way that is rare in American history, by the way. And they're the only religious group in American history to have come under an extermination order. They're, they're, they've been persecuted. They've had to morph. They've had to change. Still, they love their country. Still, they serve their country. It could have been positive. It could have been a, a statement of a, an additional uh, benefit to the presentation of who Mitt Romney was. So all of that to say... I encouraged him. I voted for him. I, I advised some people in his campaign to get him out there. I, I tend to advise on religious issues in American politics, and I, I urged their, some of their people whom I knew to get him out there, get, get him comfortable with it. Um, in an HBO doc about him after the election he lost, um, he's heard to be complaining that, he, that he's seen as just a Mormon flip-flopper. Well, you know, the principle in politics is get there firstest with the mostest. If people are coming at you about a certain thing about yourself, get out there, present it, clean it up, talk about it, make it a positive, um, show let them see your character. I wish he had done that. But having said that, even though he didn't, I like him. I like his thinking. I like his moderate politics. I like that he's an outlier. I like that he's prickly. I like that he's a man of principle, free from party spirit. And so uh, he's he's an example of a guy I could absolutely lock arms with in the in the challenges and causes that we both care about. I've worked with Mormons in the pro-life cause, worked, of course, with many other religions, people of other religions in the pro-life cause. Now, why am I bringing this this up because we have to reclaim in this country the ability to work with people we don't 100% agree with on issues that we do agree with and that are critical in our times. There's this, this identity politics, which has come out of the academies and come out of political analysis, come out of campaign analysis and stats, uh, causes us to see people in little silos 
causes us to see all blue-eyed Lithuanian Jews as a certain political group that has certain issues and certain claims and certain complaints, and they stand alone. And then all uh, Nigerian immigrants over the age of 50, they're a certain siloed group, and they have certain claims, and they have certain complaints, and they should be approached in a certain way. And this is what part of what produces the uh, thing you see in campaigns where, where a candidate will you know, go in the South and talk one way, go out West and talk another way, go another way when they're talking to Sikhs, go another way when they're talking to Muslims, go another way when they're talking to Black Baptists. You understand what I'm saying. It's an idea that rather than the job of the state is just to assure a strong economy and let everybody benefit, that you you basically divide and conquer. You talk to all African-American women. You talk to all African-American women over the age of 50, all African-American women who are professional women with a master's degree between the ages of 30 and 50. You deal with them differently. You approach them differently. You market to them differently. You extend their complaints. You light a fire under their complaints. And you reach them by identifying with their unique politics and making promises to their unique needs. Well, in my opinion, it divides. In my opinion, it sets us apart. In my opinion, it causes what we've got in America right now, which is an identity politics ridden society where you have a bunch of people making claims, even to the point of violence, based on what their individual group feels to be their needs and their wrongs. This has all come out of our universities. This has all come out of of political theory. It has all come out of political practice of recent decades. And what it does is it feeds the idea that we can't build, so to speak, across the aisle. We can't build bridges. We can't work with other people. I'm pro-life. I have worked with Catholic priests. I have worked with Muslims. I have worked with uh, with Latter-day Saints. I have worked with atheists who are uh, pro-life. I have worked with anybody who will stand with me for the cause of the unborn. And by the way, never more important time than that, than now to do that, because Mr. Biden is acting as though all of our problems would be solved if we just increased the war on the unborn. I can't believe the expansion uh, of abortion rights and services that his his, his, uh, administration has engineered just in the first 30 days. It is pretty amazing. So an important time to lock arms across the aisle, across the divide. And by the way, not, not just on religious issues, even though I'm using that as a model, uh, an ability to work with people who are, who are different. For example, um, one of the things we need to be working for in our generation is a limitation on government reach, a limitation on government control. People can really do some things better on their own. Private organizations, states, uh, private associations, they can do better on their own. The state is not all. The state is not ultimate. And if we're going to have rights, if we're going to have freedom, we have to keep the state in check. It can't be involved in everybody's business at every level. And so that's a a bipartisan, uh, that's a multi-ethnic, multi-gender, multi-generational cause. That's that's where I, as an older white male, can team up with a 16-year-old. I can team up with people of any ethnicity, any color, any political persuasion, uh, if they agree with me on this issue. So I, I raise this issue because one of the things that's, that's kind of funny in my life is that I am so broad in my associations, uh, so broad in my friendships, so broad in what I read, and so broad uh, in terms of those I will partner with and link arms with that I I really get uh, some friends who come to me and say, man, what are you doing? 
saw you at lunch the other day with a gay guy. Saw you at lunch. You're talking to this whole group of Muslims. Why are you speaking at that Catholic convention? It's not. It's not as though they're narrow bigots. They're just mystified that someone who's a fairly outspoken and fairly well-known evangelical, if I'm still willing to use that term. <laughs> <laughs> basically just a garden variety traditional Christian, that, that, that I would have these associations, that I would have these affiliations. I have appeared in gay media. I've appeared in trans media. Uh, I have appeared in queer media. I have appeared in Muslim media, a lot of it, um, et cetera. I could go on and on. And I have friends who are six, friends who are probably listening right now uh, who are six. I have friends who are Hindus. Um, I believe in, in being big, big in my relationships, big in my connections, uh, big in whom I I'll team with for a cause. But I'm very clear on who I am. And if we if we wanted to have the conversation, I'm very clear on where we disagree. I think you know that I guess lecture at a Saudi university. When I go over there, I sit with a mullah and um, we talk about where we disagree. Pretty high-ranking mullah uh, in Saudi Arabia, just in the same way that I've been with the senior mullah uh, in Iraqi Kurdistan. And we've talked. We talk about where we disagree. We talk about the causes. We talk about the challenge of extremism. We talk about Christians and Muslims getting along. Um, and then we work together to make a difference. What, what, I want, what I'm trying to illustrate here uh, is that I want you to be, here's the big boy term, epistemologically self-aware. I want you to know what you know and why you know it. Uh, I want you to be, have, have a firm grip on the things that are distinctives of your faith, of your life, uh, of your belief system. But at the same time, I, I want you to be willing to reach to the like-minded, if they're only, even if they're only like-minded in a certain area, even if they just share your view of taxes, or even if they just share your view of abortion, or even if they just share your view of, of military spending, for example. Build coalitions. Be willing to reach across the aisle. Um, this identity politics, this idea that we have to separate and be a separate political entity from everybody we don't fully agree with is really hurting us. And it's hurting the cause of truth. I think I've told you before here that if I had to start a political party tomorrow, I would call it the American Common Sense Party. And it would be the, uh, built on those set of principles that we all, as Americans, pretty much agree on. We pretty much agree on. But we are not allowed, uh, we are not given the sort of the, red, the green light to associate together and work together for those core principles because someone comes along and tells us, well, you know, you disagree with those evangelicals about this. Well, you know, that guy's Mormon. Therefore, you, you know, you're not with him. Well, you know, that guy's an immigrant from Africa. Therefore, you can't, you, you can't really join arms with him. Hey, you know, that guy's Middle Eastern and he's probably Muslim and who knows, may have terrorists in his family and here he is in America. What do you do in associating with him? I'll tell you what, I will lock, lock arms with anybody who shares uh, a cause that I hold dear and is willing to lock arms with me. And so I mention my Latter-day Saints friends because I have so many of them. I mean, I've lectured at Brigham Young, Brigham Young University. I've le lectured to the temple uh, security team. I mean, you know, I've, I've got dear friends who are Mormons. And yet I have no problem saying, and I know many of them are listening right now, that we disagree for heaven's sakes. <laughs> we disagree. And if we wanted to sit around and talk about where we disagree, we could do that by the hour and maybe even generate some tension. But why? Traditionally, uh, through the centuries, people have known they disagreed and still found ways to build bridges. One of the stories I most love that I've written about um, in my, my book on the Kurds um, is the way that when uh, decades ago, when Jews in Iraq were making Aliyah, they were returning to Israel, that many of their Muslim neighbors in villages that they shared, Muslims and Jews together, would keep the mosques, I'm sorry, keep the um, 
the synagogues clean and alive and often with candles burning in them uh, as a tribute to their departed friends. So here you have Muslims keeping mosques. I'm sorry, I keep saying mosques. I mean synagogues, keeping the Jewish synagogues uh, clean, swept, tended, candles burning in them um, for whatever Jews might want to use it, but mainly in tribute to their departed Jewish friends. I find that tender. I find that beautiful. I love stories like that. And we've got to be careful in our time about the politics, the philosophies, the radicalism that causes us to believe that we can't work across party lines. Um, this, the ability to work with people we disagree with, the ability, ability to have as neighbors people we don't fully agree with, uh, is one of the great strengths of America. I actually like those uh, movies from World War II where they show all kinds of different people in a military unit. And they're trying to, of course, they're produced as almost like propaganda films. But still, it's good to see Sands of Iwo Jima or whatever. And, you know, you see the black soldier. You see the soldier who's from, you know, New York and he's Italian Catholic. You see the guy from, from Alabama, white guy from Alabama who's Baptist and farmer. And, you know, they almost all, always talk like a hick in, in, the, in the movies, which is not historically accurate. But whatever. Um, you see the diversity. It's, it, the, whole, the whole message is it's diversity going to war. And I believe that's what we've got to do. I believe that's what we've got to do. So thank you, my LDS friends, for allowing me to use you as an example where we disagree, what I've said, um, etc. cetera. Uh, but, but thank you also. Please hear my absolute devotion to you and my absolute celebration of who you are in American history, who you are in American public life, the contributions you make, the contributions you've made to my life, and some of you being my very dear friends. But what I want to say here, what the core issue is, beware of identity politics. Beware of any message that tells you that you cannot have friends broader than your immediate group of hyper agreement. There are those I agree with almost 100%. And then there are those I don't agree with. And believe me, the people I don't 100% agree with and who don't 100% agree with me are the vast majority in the world. (laughs) It's just true. But I believe as a Christian, because I'm a Christian, I love big, give big, welcome big, have a big dining room table, bring a lot of people together. Love that. Love it. Believe that's how we're supposed to live. If you're being told in your church that you shouldn't associate with anybody who might be a sinner or who might be um, you know, of a different faith, you're missing an important part of the message. Scripture actually tells us, I'm speaking to Christians for a moment, Scripture actually tells us not to engage uh, in xenophobia, which means a fear of strangers, but to engage in xenophilio, love of strangers. That's the word that's translated hospitality in the New Testament, love of strangers, love of those not like you, love of those from far away, love of those who are different from you. Cultivate that love. Cultivate that willingness. Build across lines. Build across divides. Doesn't mean you're going to get tainted. Doesn't mean that you're going to get some on you. Doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, in some way compromise or become quote unquote liberal or all the different things I've been told. It actually means that you are going to be clearer about what you believe and what you don't believe, but then more secure in working with people across lines. I'll tell you one more thing. 
I've done a lot in the Middle East. And one of the reasons that I make a little bit more progress maybe than some others do in the Middle East is I'm very open about who I am. Now, part of that is that I'm so public as a Christian that, you know, I couldn't hide it if I want to. These people do have Google after all. (laughs) But the other part of it is that I have found in my life that when I go into India, when I go into the Middle East and the Muslim world, when I go into uh, portions of the world uh, where the dominant religions are not ones that I hold, that they actually respect me for being open about who I am. I've walked right up to uh, Kurdish officials, Muslim officials in other countries and said, look, I, here's who I am. Here's what I'm here to do. I want you to know I'm a Christian. Um, not hiding that. Uh, how can I help you? Uh, will you give us permission to do the following things in your country to help your people? And almost every single time they will say, thank you for not hiding. We always know who's here. We always know what they're actually doing, but many of them come and they basically lie. Well, we're selling tin or we're selling, you know, we're, 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 we're selling books on the street. What they really know they're doing is distributing Bibles. Okay. Let's just be as open about it as we can. I realize there are some places in the world where you can't do that. I wouldn't walk into China and do that right now. I'm a great deal of persecution against Christians, but in a great many places, certainly in the Middle East, certainly among Muslims, certainly among uh, other people or African nations and so on, being open about who you are actually earns respect. So know who you are, be open about who you are, and build across lines. That's part of the healing we need in America today. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.